Really, the vision of the church, the big story, what, what we're doing here and why. This is Vision Sunday. And as we prepare for a new year set before us, we have our vision meeting today at 3 o'clock. Uh, looking forward for all of you to be here for that. Uh, certainly we'll expound on what we're expecting in 2013. But what I want to do for you is to review, and some of you are new to the church, new members and, and uh, new attenders, I want you to understand what we're about and putting it all together. So in doing that, I want you to see that our theme for 2014 is going to be building together. Now, you remember that... Uh, Last year, our theme was belonging together and trying to encourage you that we actually belong together. We're a group of people called out of this world and in this community to belong together and uh, to have a sense that this is home. And it was amazing to us as pastors as we sought the Lord and we prayed for the vision for the church. He began to show us how we needed to let people know you belong here. And what we were so surprised at is that many people needed to be told that. They needed to be told and needed to come to an understanding. You know what? Yeah, I think I do. I belong here. They needed a sense of welcome and a sense of assurance and in their own mind to say, yeah, I belong here. This is mine. In a transient society, you know, we try one thing and we go to the next. We go here and we go here. Uh, many of you have gone from one house to another house to another house, one job to another job, right? I mean, that's what's happening in our society. And we've done that even in churches. But for right now, in this season, you've said, I belong here. And it hit us. And we realized we belong together. Well, what happens is when people begin to understand they belong together, now they can build together. Now there's agreement and unity. And that's what we see for 2014. We belong together. Now we're going to build together. And so, I want to help you understand what we're going to build. First of all, I believe that we're coming into a new season. And I thank God for a new season, right? How many of you are ready for a new season, like spring? <laughs> yesterday, I was just dreaming of summer. It warmed up yesterday, so I was thinking of summer. It did, right? It went from zero to 21. That's nice. I'm looking for a new season. I really am. And I'll be honest with you, you know, we've sown into this community. We've sowed. We sowed hard. We tried to dig up fallow ground. We've pressed. And, and this region of Michigan is tough. And we've been here for 22 years. And I believe that we're entering in, and most prophetic words you hear, and what the Lord is saying is we're entering in, and this is what I love, at an accelerated rate, we're moving in to a new season. I'm believing that season is harvest. After you've been planting and laboring and watering, what's that next season? Oh man, I'm ready to rejoice in the harvest. Things coming in to what you've poured out. And so, I'm looking forward to a new season. And uh, it's kind of like this. Uh, now the supplies and the building materials have come, and it's time for us to build. 
We can build together. The supplies are here. You heard the Lord even speak this morning prophetically that you are going to be a provision for someone else. You may not even have it in your pockets, but when you reach for it and say, hey, I'll give you what I can, you'll be surprised at what you have, and it will be just what they need. Amen? We're looking for that new season of being able to pour out and build together you belong here so now we're going to build together so let me help you understand what we're about as christ community church what are we going to build how do we build let me share with you different kinds of churches there are seeker churches where the focus and the attention is on the lost now i am not here to uh, put down or denigrate any form of church because god has different members in everybody to do different things And a seeker church is motivated to win the lost, and every church should be motivated to win the lost. But their emphasis is making sure that on Sundays their services avail them to seekers, folks who don't know the Lord and and need a deeper understanding and want to feel that they could come in without kind of uh, being uh, called upon or or pressed on. And, and so seeker churches have had their purpose and had their goals. And again, their central focus is on the lost. So they gather together in a worship setting on a Sunday morning in the big room to come so that unsaved people could come to a knowledge of the Lord. And that's a good thing. But that's not what we are. And, and that doesn't mean we're better or worse. Please, let's never get an attitude that one is better than another. We all serve the King. And thank God for those who are seekers, uh, churches that are reaching the lost. Another type of church that you have are service churches. These kind of churches are those who are are service-oriented, missional-minded. They are in the community. They're serving food weekly. They're giving out clothes. They're meeting the needs of their community, reaching the streets as a corporate body of a church. And, and so they're service-minded. And every church should be service-minded. We want to win the lost, but we also want to serve the community. We want to serve people. Whether we save them or not, we want to share the love of Christ, the provisions of God. And uh, if you see a neighbor in need, you give to them, right? And, and so this is the mentality of a church that is socially minded for the good and well-being of their society and community. That is a good thing as well. We do that. We, we care to win the lost. Yes, we care to minister in service. But then there's another dimension of a church, and that's a sonship church. And that is our pattern. This is what we're patterned after. Do we want to win the lost? Absolutely. Do we want to serve the community and serve this region? Absolutely. But our point of view is how we do that, it's through sonship orientation. When we gather on Sundays, it's not to win the lost or evangelize because that's what we're to be doing outside of this place seven days a week. When we meet together, it's not simply to serve the community, but in fact, Our slogan, if you will, our purpose has been since day one to effectively impact this community by making disciples of Christ. That's our focus. And so that makes us a sonship church. We're learning how to demonstrate or manifest as sons of God. 
disciples who become children of God, born of His Spirit, to walk in the maturity of Christ Himself. In this, we should be able to win the lost and affect our community because Jesus is in the region. He's in us. And so if you've noticed, this is the particular calling and flavor of Christ's community church. Now, that's not better than another church down the road. I'll tell you what, I'm looking for the day when the seeker church gets together with the service church and the son of God church and we care together as one body and impact this community like never before. Amen? In a sonship church, we're learning how to be sons of God. We're learning our position in Christ, our authority in Christ, and we're discipling or growing to walk like Christ. You've noticed that we have all sorts of schools and seminars and teaching. We have prophetic and healing. People come to this church to learn and to grow. They come for a season, then they go out, and they end up serving in leadership at other churches. Because this is a training ground. This is what we do. And I'm hoping that you'll begin to understand the reason we reach the world with missions and we send teams out is to learn how to be dependent on God as a son. Now, men and women, that's a title. Okay, Sonship is a title. So women are sons, men are sons. Just as men are bride of Christ, right? This is a title that we use. And so this is our design. This is how we go if you will this is our way or as they say this is how we roll and uh, that's what we're about we're sonship so let me help you understand that now uh, for example how many you know how how could we become more of a seeker church Uh, well uh, how could we get more people saved in church I, i would say probably invite unsaved people here wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't that be the, like the goal? Invite unsaved people. Now let's be honest with each other. Come on, just for a minute. How many of you are nervous bringing unsaved people here? Thank you for your honesty. Because someone's going to talk in tongues. Someone's going to prophesy. You're going to make an altar call. So the person next to me is weeping and crying, trying to get through. Right? Now let me ask you again. How many of you are a little nervous about bringing unsaved people here? Okay, we broke the ice now. See, that's, I know what's going on. But I was meditating on this, and I thought this is interesting because, again, as a sonship church, our point of view is we gather for one reason, to glorify Jesus Christ. We're here to magnify Christ and His glory. In doing this comes the healing, the restoration, the strength to go out there. We're teaching you how to minister like Jesus So that when you leave this place, daily you're seeking the lost. Daily you're leading people to the Lord. You don't have to bring them to church to save them. Uh, But it's a good idea. Even in the book of uh, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said that when the unbeliever comes in to a church that is operating properly in the gifts, they will fall to their knees and say, surely God is in this place. Can I tell you we're too easy on seekers? We have something to offer them, a miraculous God. Amen? It's interesting, when I was considering this, Jesus was hard on seekers. The church is doing quite the opposite. 
We're making it very easy for seekers. But remember what Jesus did with seekers? There was a rich young ruler who came to him seeking to know the ways of the Lord. He said, sell everything. He didn't make it easy, did he? He had large crowds following him, seeking more provision from the Lord, seeking what he had to say. And he said, listen, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He wrecked that service right there. They all split. And so sometimes we're a little bit afraid to invite the unbeliever because someone might speak in tongues. Can I tell you a story? Uh, my mom will get a kick out of this. She listens to these. Uh, uh, I started going to my girlfriend's church. I grew up Presbyterian. And my girlfriend, who is now my wife, went to a Pentecostal church. And there was tongue talkers and all this ruckus going on, right? And so my mom said, I think I'd like to come to your church. Ah, that's okay, Ma. <laughs> she wanted to come to the church, so she was going to come to the church, and my wife and I were coming, and, and I was praying, oh God, make it an easygoing church service. How many of you have done that with an unsaved friend that you brought here, right? It's like, oh God, please, don't let that guy go out in tongues. So I'm praying, oh God, let this be an easy service. Don't let it be too profound uh, of your presence. Oh God, please don't. Uh, Father God, I know you're great and I know you're good. And who begins to bust out in tongues sitting next to his mother? Me. I give a tongues. <laughs> Someone gives the interpretation. And I look to see if my mom's still in the house. She said, this is awesome. Now, my mom was saved. My mom knew the Lord, grew up in the Lord, strong in the Lord. She, went to, she ended up going to Bible school with us at, at that church and, and so forth. But can I tell you, sometimes you're trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Let Him do the work. They might be a little freaked out at first, but you know what? They need to get freaked out. Jesus freaks people out, man. It's the way it's supposed to be. So let me encourage you to, to invite people let me encourage you to, to the outreaches that, and service that we do, then please participate in them. Be active in them because what will happen is you're developing your character as Christ, as a son of God, a sonship church. That's what we're after. Specifically, let's take a look at Ephesians 4. Let me read it to you. A sonship church is based on Ephesians 4, 11 through 18. As I read this to you, I'm hoping that you'll see some key elements to a sonship church. Let me read it to you, Ephesians 4.11. I'm reading out of the New King James. And he himself, that's Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness or deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. 
Now there's a Sonship Church growing, building together. Each one of you has something to offer. It said as every joint does its contribution together. That's all of us. You all have something to offer. And it's so many and varied and wonderful for you to offer what you have. A good word, a kind word, a hand, a prayer, anything coming together, joining this. So a sonship church, our effort of building is going to do two things that Scripture said. It's going to equip and edify. Equip and edify. He gave the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to equip the body and edify or build up and strengthen the body. This is the work of the Lord so that we will mature into the full stature of Jesus Christ. And so we belong together. We belong to each other. Now we need to build each other up. That's the key. Look at your neighbor and say, I belong to you. Now look at your neighbor and say, you belong to me. Amen. Okay. Now don't get worried. Some of you are all weirded out by that. It's like, uh, but I'm married to him. I mean in the Spirit. I mean in the Spirit. In the Spirit, we belong to each other. We've got to develop this mindset and this understanding that we belong to each other, therefore we must build each other up. We must equip each other. You need something? I've got it. Here. Give it. Amen? And when you need strengthening, you need edifying, that's what a sonship church does. Listen, you've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. You've accepted Him by faith. Now you're working out that salvation with fear and trembling. You're secure in your salvation, but you might fail. You might fall. You might do something foolish. Someone else in the body sees it, and what's the response? Let's come alongside. Let's build them. Let's help them. We don't have to demonize them. We don't have to question if, if they really are saved or not. Why don't you just come alongside them? Because you're going to need that eventually too. And so we come alongside and we build and we edify. Why? Because Ephesians told us that if we would build together, equipping each other, edifying each other, by doing this, we're not going to be tossed around anymore. Tossed to and fro like an infant on the waves. I mean, isn't that a picture? Man, seeing a baby in the ocean. Yikes. Being tossed to and fro. But that's not going to happen to us. We're going to bring together a unity of faith and knowledge. Growing in the faith and knowledge of the Lord because we're equipping each other, edifying each other. By doing this, we're not going to be tossed to and fro. We're not going to be deceived. And we're not going to be tricked. Now, there is a great deception coming. So for many believers... Many people who claim to be Christians, if they are not rooted and grounded in a body of people who can equip and edify and strengthen and hold on to each other, it will be easy to be deceived. Lone Ranger Christianity isn't going to get you through in these next seasons. You can't be an island to yourself. And the enemy has been really ramping this up. 
You don't need church. You know, church membership is failing. People are leaving church. And I find it fascinating that the end time verse in Hebrews 10 says, forsake not the assembly together as some are in the what habit of doing. But in the last days, you need each other to build each other up. So we need to build together. You need to strengthen each other. We need to uh, grow together. Now, it reminds me of Nehemiah. And so I want to read to you Nehemiah chapter 3, one of the most profound chapters in the book of Scripture. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 is about the story of Nehemiah the cupbearer who hears that Jerusalem is torn down and the walls have have fallen. And uh, he goes to repair Jerusalem and he's got to encourage the folks to repair the walls so that they could protect themselves from the enemy, so that they could finish the temple. But with the walls broken down, you can't get to the good work. So you got to secure yourself. you got to sure up what God is doing. So you have to build together. Now, here's a wonderful portion of Scripture. Let, let me read it to you, okay? Then Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and priests, and they built the sheep gate and consecrated it and set the doors. Now, uh, the sons of Hesaniah built the fish gate, and they laid its beams and set its doors and bolts and bars. And then next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, repaired. And next to them, Mushalam, the son of Berekah, son of Meshibababa, uh, repaired it. All right, I, I kind of winged it on that. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bena, repaired. Uh, Joida, the son of Pesach, uh, and uh, his son repaired the gate of Yashana. They laid its beams and set it. And next to them repaired uh, Malathiah and Gibeonite and Jadin. The men of Gibeon and Mitzpah uh, restored the seated government and province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired their gate. Next to them, Rephaniah, the son of Hur, ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired his gate. Uh, Hunan and the inhabitants of Zanoah repaired the valley gate. Uh, you getting the point? Uh, and Shalom, the son of Kolhaz, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. Uh, later down here, we've got bakers and, and guys and women, a house of women repairing the gate near their house. I mean, this is, all of chapter 3 is listing by name the people who repaired the gates and walls of the city where? Where they lived. Right where they lived. In other words, take responsibility for what's right in front of you and build it. Be responsible for the person next to you that you're sitting next to because there's a gate there into this fellowship. If we would mend the gates, care for each other of the entrance and exit into people's lives, repair them, mend them, care for each other, Nehemiah was able to complete the wall because he didn't hire a construction crew. He got the people who were personally interested in the safety of their own home. This is about the safety of our lives, the safety of our community, that we just don't come in and go anymore as a church, but we build together. 
I'm so proud of this church. I've been visiting those who have been sick and ill. And when you go there, there's cards and letters and flowers, and they're overwhelmed by the care and the calls that this church has made to them. That's building the walls together of assembly of people who are secure. We're securing it. We're building it together. If you have an offense with a brother or a sister, go to them. Mend the gate. Mend the fences. So many churches have their walls torn down because there's so many offenses amongst the assembly of people together that there's no guard on the gate anymore. And so the enemy can come in and go out easily through the open wounds of the people of God. Mend the gates that you're responsible for. Take care of them. Care for each other. That's what Jesus taught us to do. For He said, they'll know that you're My disciples by your love for each other. Amen? Isaiah 58.12 will then speak prophetically of what we will become if we will repair the damages between us. It says in Isaiah 58.12, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I love that. Isaiah 58 is the chapter on the true fast of God. What it really means to fast. Fasting in the Old Testament is not simply a religious practice. The Pharisees would fast. They'd put powder on their face so they looked like they haven't eaten for weeks. They'd stumble around on the street corners and saying, I'm going to fast. Step out of my holy way. Jesus said they got their reward, the attention they wanted. He said a true fast is whatever you're fasting from, then you give it away. You give it. If you're not eating, then give your food to somebody who needs it. Break the bonds of wickedness that's in the community of people. When Israel was supposed to fast, the concept was what you're refraining from, let someone else gain from it. That's the fast. Fast from going out to dinner one night and use that money to bless someone else. This is a fast. Now, that's not the full dimension of all the fasts, but that's what Isaiah 58 is talking about. And in reference for what I'm using it in this sermon is again to repair the breaches. Fast, refrain from criticism and bless. Build up instead of tear down. Encourage instead of criticize. Let's build up and be repairers of the breach. That's what God is telling us to do. This year, we're going to build together an awesome assembly of people because we're getting ready for those who are coming in. God's given us the words already. We've prayed for those doors to be open for those who are wandering, those who are backslidden to come in. And are we ready for them? Well, We will be because we're building each other up. We're edifying each other. We're not being tossed to and fro by winds of doctrine. We know in what we stand. We know what worship is for. We know why we're gathered together. And we're here for each other. Now, 
Let me share with you one other aspect of getting ready for those open doors. In order to accomplish this building together, working together, we have to learn how to war together. Why do I say that? Because I said it's a new season. I say the doors are opening. We're going to see a harvest. People are going to come in. And can I tell you, wherever there's an open door, the enemy's there. Paul tells us a principle found in 1 Corinthians 16.9. He's talking to the church at Corinth. And he says, I want you to pray for me because he said, a great and effectual or effective door has opened to me. All right. That's good. Paul's excited. How many times did Paul go into a city and the Holy Spirit said, sorry, door shut, go on. And so he's moving, 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 and he comes into this new region. It was Ephesus. And he says, there's a new door open. It's effective. It's powerful. The heavens have loosed, and now a door is open. But he says this, and there are many adversaries. Listen, in the spirit realm, when a portal of God opens up, and an open door prophetically of God making provision and, and widening His glory and His church to move in that place, where do you think demons hide? Where they see an open door of blessing from God, they want to go right there because guess who's going to gather there? Believers and those who need to be saved. I mean, it's a giveaway. It's a giveaway. Whenever God opens a door, if we want to pray for revival, pray for war. You want to pray for salvations? Get ready for war. The enemy hates the move of the Holy Spirit. Any move of the Holy Spirit is going to bring salvations, renewal, restoration, healing, deliverance, because that's what He does to magnify the name of Jesus. These are open doors, and that's where the enemy hangs out. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't care about the places that are full of sin and wickedness. What does he need to go there for? He's got everybody hepped up on flesh. He's got them all already drugged up on themselves and sin. He goes where the glory is shining so that he can oppose it and shut it down. So, we've got to get ready. God's blessing us. Hallelujah. Get ready for war. But let me tell you this. If, as a people of God, we are growing in strength and in our obedience to Christ, in discipleship, in knowing the Word of God and the move of God's Spirit, we're overcoming our flesh. So we can walk in the enemy's camp and not be affected by him. Because we've got the armor of God that keeps you from your flesh and walks you in the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, gird your loins with truth and your feet walking with the gospel of peace. You see, so as we're being guarded and growing in maturity, we're not going to be tossed to and fro. I'm back to Ephesians now. So if we're going through this door, getting ready to go through, how how many of you remember as kids the rickets? Anybody? Raise your hand. Am I in? Okay, thank you. I didn't know if I came from an abusive uh, community or not. 
What are the rickets? Well, we would do this. You'd have, you know, 10, 12 kids playing together. And the rickets are you'd stand like this with your legs apart and a line of people and whoever lost or whatever would have to crawl on their hands and knees between everybody's legs and you would smack them on the butt. <laughs> Had to go through the rickets. I don't know who thought this up. It was handed down through the traditions of child play. I want to tell you something. When we go through that open door and the devil's got his legs spread thinking he's going to put us through the rickets. Uh-uh, no way, no how. Get out of my way. And we're going to knock them down and we're going to separate them and cast them away so that we can go through that open door and reach the lost and bring revival to a city and to a nation. Are you with me on that? Amen. Because as sons of God, we do not fear a defeated enemy. And we, like David, will speak to that uncircumcised Philistine and say, how dare you desecrate the name of God? And we will slay every opponent of the Lord in that spirit realm. Amen? And we will reach the lost. That's what it means to build together. That's our goal this year. To edify and to equip each other to be a church that continues to grow in the model of sonship. It's going to take unity. Why? Why would we do this? What's the goal? What are we building? We're building a throne for Christ. For the Lord dwells upon the praises of His people. We're rejoicing. We're worshiping the true living God. Therefore, the majesty of Christ sits on this assembly and is enthroned in what we're accomplishing. It will produce a home for the lost that they can come in and find refreshing, not judgment, but help and deliverance and care for them. We'll hold the bucket while they throw up. We'll comb their hair back. We'll, we'll wipe off their forehead. We'll help them get through detox. We'll do what we need to do and care for the sick and those on their deathbed. We'll visit and be with them. We'll pray for them. We're building a home for those who are lost. We're building a family that cares. We care about the children here. We care about the teens here. We care about the elderly here. We care about the handicapped here. We care about everybody and we're building a family for it. We're building a garden where people are planted and they begin to grow. This is a nurturing church. We're building and have a tool chest for whatever gift or tool you need to get the job done. And last of all, we are building an identity in Christ as to who we are and what we are. I'm going to close with this, and I want it to be a testimony to God's goodness and to you as a people. I don't mean it in any bragging form, but just last week I had a pastor call up and he said, Pastor, we're planting a church in Roseville. And as I asked pastors around the region and in the area, he said, I wanted to meet the pastor or the church that has the authority of Roseville. And he said, they all said, Christ Community Church. Amen? Because we're a sonship church, we're faithful to our call and our purpose. We're building something here, not for our glory in the least, but unto Christ and to the glory of God. Amen?
That's our vision to build together this morning. Let's bow our heads.